I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is Please Go On, where we go deeper with the authors of important op-eds. This week's guest is retired U.S. Army Major General Paul Eaton. He wrote a piece recently with two other retired Army generals, Antonio Taguba and Stephen Anderson, warning that the military needs to prepare now for the next January 6th. Here's General Eaton reading from that op-ed. As we approach the first anniversary of the deadly insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, we, all of us former senior military officials, are increasingly concerned about the aftermath of the 2024 presidential election and the potential for lethal chaos inside our military, which would put all Americans at severe risk. In short, we are chilled to our bones at the thought of a coup succeeding next time. The three generals ask us to imagine competing commanders-in-chief, a newly re-elected Joe Biden giving orders versus Donald Trump issuing orders as the head of a shadow government. General Eaton has some ideas for how the military can prevent this and weed out extremism in its ranks before it's too late. Here's our conversation. General Eaton, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about your really important op-ed. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for the Washington Post. You know, a year later, looking back on that day, last January 6th, how did you feel watching the attack on the Capitol play out? Well, like a lot of people, we were getting input, uh, various reports, and it it was almost like uh, a military exercise as you start receiving intelligence, uh, little snippets, and it's all snippets coming in from different sources and as the picture developed, uh, it was just incredulity. It was, how can this be happening in the United States? And then as we saw some of the behaviors of the uh, Trump administration, and specifically the president himself, that exceeded all previous excesses from this particular president. And then it was, where is the cavalry? And uh, this this breakdown in command and control, this breakdown in contingency planning that allowed this to unfold. It was just a stunner. Yeah, this is one of those rare situations where the more time that passes and the more we learn about what was going on that day, the worse it seems when you kind of put all the pieces together and everything we've learned from testimony and, and everything else over the last year of the books. It really was just such a dark day for democracy. Indeed, and getting darker. Your piece generated immense feedback, close to 7,000 comments. The most liked comment on your op-ed reads, this may seem like a minor issue, but it's really not. Stop playing Fox News on televisions and mess halls and other common areas. While you're trying to get servicemen and women to act in accordance with the Constitution and their duty to country, What they hear every day from Fox pushes them in exactly the opposite direction. You wouldn't allow other anti-American propaganda to entertain and inform your troops. Stop allowing this one. What did you think of that? And and what other interesting reactions have you gotten to the piece? A quick reaction that we saw is uh, you're into uh, thought control. You're into a management of propaganda by feeding soldiers what you want them to hear. But... uh, Fox News has gone off the rails. When you're talking about Tucker Carlson and uh, some of the outrageous pro-Putin things that you get out of this guy, 
It is like he is serving as a mouthpiece for one of the primary threats that the United States has out there. And Hannity is in, you know, a minor, more minor role, but he's, he is a serious problem. Chris Wallace, one of the most rational guys, if not the most rational guy that Fox had, has left. What is this television, what is this information purveyor? Where are they going? And why do we allow them into our mess halls, into our, into our headquarters? Why, why do we do that? I'm sure there are plenty of legal reasons that, uh, you know, you can't go in there and erase their, uh, their digits off the, uh, off the remote control, but it's, it is very much a challenge. You and two other retired generals wrote this op-ed, and the headline is, The Military Must Prepare Now for a 2024 Insurrection. Why did you and your co-authors decide to write this piece, and what is the message that you want to get across? Great question. And it, it, it was an evolution of events where first 10%, of those charged for offenses during the uh, 6th January insurrection are veterans. A few of them actually active duty. Uh, so indicator one, and we're talking indications and warning. And uh, the, the second was a uh, particularly offensive letter signed by 124 retired generals and admirals who supported the fraudulent election claim by the, uh, by the Trump people and who also challenged the uh, suitability viability of uh, President Joe Biden to serve as the president of the United States. The final uh, event that put us to work was when the governor of Oklahoma, followed quickly by the governors of Texas and Florida, challenged the chain of command for the National Guard. That put us to work right there. For those who haven't served, can you explain why good order and discipline is so vital to a functioning and lethal fighting force? The American soldier will do amazing things. And the reason our men and women do these amazing things is that they trust the chain of command. They trust that their leadership will ensure that they will be resupplied when they need resupply, that they will be medevaced if they get hurt, that they will get instructions that are rational and can be followed by them and the resources that they have. When you frustrate the chain of command, when you insert doubt into the uh, chain of command, the whole good order and discipline of units uh, comes into play. We saw that in the Iraqi army. Their good order and discipline broke down because they lost faith in their chain of command. I think you and I both agree that civil-military relations depend on a non-political military. And it, it does feel like Donald Trump sort of supercharged this trend of getting former general officers in, engaged. You know, at the 2016 Republican and Democratic conventions, there were a bunch of former generals, retired generals who spoke do you fear this politicization of the uniform? Do you worry that speaking out publicly complicates things for your peers still in uniform? And why is it so important to speak kind of despite that? 
the expectation is that when you retire, particularly if you're a senior leader, you go off and you let uh, the active duty folks uh, take care of things. And I made the decision back in February of 2006, when I read the Quadrennial Defense Review and the reduction of the armed forces uh, or the ground forces that uh, Secretary Rumsfeld imposed, while our sons were in uh, Iraq and in Afghanistan uh, working 18-month tours. So I've got a Secretary of Defense who was clearly unfit to, uh, to execute the responsibilities that he had and I wrote a piece that showed up in the New York Times uh, asking for his dismissal. That was a tough call, uh, not particularly popular, and met with uh, two different kinds of reaction. One, should have done it. And two, you just said what I believed in my heart. Uh, sometimes retired soldiers can say things active duty obviously cannot. The issue of a political infection that that might create is alive and well, and it's a, uh, it's a tool that I'm not sure if we can get it back in the bottle. It is concerning, and the last thing that any of us want is for the American people to see a politicization of our armed forces. I think until the the last few years, we really took for granted the fact that we had this non-political military when so many other countries don't. And it sounds like your your dog there is is agreeing with you uh, in the background. The, the dog you hear, that's uh, Chesty, named after a very famous Marine general, very popular Chesty Puller. Oh, that's great. I like Chesty's bark. What might an insurrection look like in 2024? And then we can talk about how to how to prepare for it and, and prevent it. All organizations learn, and everybody on both sides of the uh, dynamic learned from the January 6th event. And that insurrection informed the extremists, the domestic terrorists, if you will, who fomented that insurrection on how to uh, correct deficiencies that they had. So... I would imagine an event where you, ins you insert doubt into the true nature of the chain of command. Did we elect a, a president under uh, constitutional terms, under a proper election, free and safe? Or how much doubt has been inserted into the people, into the citizens of the United States? That doubt, because of its size, and it's, it's big now, where you have 40% of the Republican Party who uh, challenged the notion that President Biden's the president, that will infect, to a degree, the armed forces, the police forces, all the men and women who assure our individual safety and our national security. So it is low probability, but it's not zero. Within the military and within our police forces, uh, I believe that we could do a better job in civics education in our schools. And I'd also say that when something bad happens in a nine-man rifle squad where one 
soldier makes a mistake either by omission or commission, you look at the staff sergeant squad leader, he knows that soldier. He knows uh, the family of the soldier. He knows uh, what makes him or her operate. And uh, that's the kind of indicator and warning that the chain of command really needs to understand that if you've got somebody who is potentially compromised by a radical element that you help that young man or woman get past it. You you work with them. This whole Trump cult thing that's going on right now is a massive infection of the Republican Party. And it has gotten far further than it ever really, uh, that I ever expected it to. We'll be right back after a short break. Why do you think the military was so underprepared for January 6th? We had failed to war game, to, to red team all the possibilities that might happen. That's what we need to have. And whenever you are worried about a military presence distracting from normal political process, you have to have a presence and you have to have a known means of introducing greater levels of force as required, but not in a way that is heavy-handed. And we all do it. Uh, when, whenever we have known demonstrations on military installations, you will have uh, military police as the, you know, lightly armed, as the smiling force demonstrating that, uh, that there is a observe and report function going on. But behind those military police, there is a very potent quick reaction force that is available if there is a breach or if there is something that, that happens. And they're there to make sure that the worst doesn't happen. We clearly failed on January 6th. We mustn't ever fail again in future elections. Can the current Pentagon leadership handle another attempted insurrection? I have great faith in our leadership, both in non-commissioned officer ranks and in officer ranks. Uh, they are very prepared. And with the uh, current Secretary of Defense, I believe that we will be far better prepared than we were under a uh, hapless acting secretary like we had in, uh, in Secretary Miller. You mentioned earlier in our conversation, General, that more than one in 10 of the people charged in the attacks on the Capitol from last January 6th had a record of military service. What do you make of that? What's behind those numbers? We have a military that we traditionally say is reflective of American society. Uh, that's become less true over time when we remove the draft. So we have a military that is uh, fairly conservative, predictably to a degree Republican, and we think in very hierarchical terms. So the president of the United States is the commander in chief. Sometimes we have 
men and women who lose sight of the oath that they took when they first enlisted or were commissioned into the armed forces, that the oath they swear is not to an individual or to a position, but to support and defend the Constitution of the United States and to obey the legal orders that they receive. So you've got a president in the last administration who was able to, by sheer force of repetition, convince enough Americans that the election was a steal. That constituted an opportunity for infection into uh, the ranks of the armed forces. At this point, a 10% infection rate, that has to be absolutely addressed to, to, uh, to understand the nature of the problem and to mitigate against it. And one thing that the military does very well is uh, we may not be able to control how you think, but we can certainly control how you behave. In your piece, the three of you call for a civics review. Some critics of the piece have said, you're warning about a coup. Maybe a civics review doesn't go far enough to capture that. Obviously, we've talked about other things and wargaming and preparing and planning and trying to identify extremists in the ranks. Why teach civics? What would that accomplish? And and why isn't it already being taught to our troops? When I was working to develop the Iraqi army, I would say that, you know, three things to to create a a soldier from a young 18-year-old is uh, develop them physically, give them the skill sets to operate within a context of a rifle squad, and then to develop the whole man, to develop the moral component, as the Brits call it. And the easiest component to handle in the American system is the moral component, because that young soldier understands how America works. He has been taught how to operate as a soldier under civilian control, that uh, he does believe in our systems, that he does believe in our institutions and how they work and the Constitution of the United States. That was true up until 2016. I believe that there has been an erosion in the last four years that needs to be addressed and that we need to anti-Bannon the influences on our young Americans and build our faith in our institutions and in our government. President Reagan did not do us uh, any favors when he said that uh, government was the problem. Uh, I do not believe that. And that's why we had such a hard time developing Iraqi soldiers, because that was the greatest challenge that we had, we need to turn back time and go back several administrations and develop in our instruction and preparation of the youth of America for military service and for service anywhere, faith in our institutions that our judicial system, if not perfect, is certainly the jewel in America's crown compared to other places I've been. And to have faith in our rational acting police forces. There's a rebuild in America in our institutions 
that we need to address in school and we need to quickly apply a patch to, uh, to that preparation to our soldiers in uniform today. Well, General, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I'm honored and thank you. I'm flattered. Thank you. In the coming months, the House Committee investigating the January 6th attack plans to hold several more hearings to tell the story of the insurrection from start to finish, including the military's response. The committee will then publish an interim report on their findings this summer. The panel is expected to recommend legislative and administrative changes. Members say they plan to review laws that provide presidents with emergency powers so that those powers cannot be abused if a future election is contested. Please Go On is produced by Julie Deppenbrock, with editing from Allison Michaels, Renita Jablonski, and Michael Duffy. This episode was mixed by Veronica Simonetti. Our theme music is by Ted Muldoon. If you like this show, please rate and review us. It helps new listeners discover the podcast. I'm James Homan, and I'll be back next week with another episode because there's always more to say.